Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. Uh, and today we got uh, one of the two series is wrapped up. The other one, we'll talk about what's gone on so far. We're recording as Game 4 is happening tonight. It's about 5 p.m. on uh, Tuesday afternoon, I guess. But we got some news to talk about as well. So we figured we'd go out with the weekly podcast. And then probably by next week, we'll have a Stanley Cup Finals preview for you. Um, let's just... Hop right in, I guess. With the, we'll, we'll go to the news after, I think. But um, the the biggest piece of news in the hockey world this week was definitely uh, the Colorado Avalanche sweep the Edmonton Oilers. They win Game Four in overtime, and um, you know our, our big conversation last week was how Florida probably didn't deserve to get uh, swept in that series. I don't know if I can say the same about Edmonton in this one. It kind of felt like it should have been a sweep. Yeah, Edmonton was grossly outclassed. Like, people are going to spend the offseason talking about how Ken Holland was actually smart for all the stupid things he's done in the past little while. But, like, the, the they're just a worse team, and it caught up to them, right? Because they've made bad decisions repetitively over time. But... Uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl having historically good playoffs can still get you pretty far. See, I think getting swept like this might actually stop at least a little bit of the narrative. I definitely agree where if they went like six or seven and a lot of the games were close, everyone's going to be talking about, see, you freaking idiots. Like, look at how dumb you were to doubt Ken Holland. But like getting just dismantled like this, to me, it almost like... It doesn't, obviously it doesn't, like you can't take away the series wins to me, or like you can't take away the series wins they had, but when you get swept in the conference finals like this, I think a lot of fans are going to treat it like they didn't make the conference finals. And like, I don't know if I want to say rightfully so, because you did make it, but if you're taking this into going forward, I think it's almost rightfully so, right? Where it's like, yes, you won two rounds in what we said all year was a weak division. They had the easiest, if not what, like, one of the easiest for sure first round matchups in LA. It was just, yeah. you know, and they yeah. almost botched that. Exactly. It took them to game seven and then they beat a Flames team where the goalie turned into an 880 goalie. And, and again, like you can only play who you play, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, hey, you played a team that just steamrolled you. And so I, I do wonder what the narrative is going to be this offseason. If it's going to be, oh, look at how smart Ken Holland was to bring in Duncan Keith and Cody Cece and keep Mike Smith. Or if it's going to be like, well, no, Mike Smith posted an 8-8, eight, eight, like 8 just like we talked about, right? Like Mike Smith yep. was horrendous at times in this series. You know, he was all right in others, played okay in game three. But like last night, that fifth and sixth, well, the sixth goal, he was, you know, a bit of a deflection, tough one. But the fifth goal in the power play through the five holes, one of the worst goals I've ever seen. In game one, he got pulled like three goals on 13 shots or whatever it was, and they lose 8-6 or five goals or whatever on earth it was. Like he just wasn't good enough. So I wonder if it's going to be, look how smart he was to keep all these veterans, or if it's going to be, yeah, he made this team worse, but they got lucky because they stumbled into a very shitty person in Evander Kane for dirt cheap, and they have two of the best five players on the earth. Yeah, I don't know. It could go a couple ways, because it could, like, they could double down on what they've been doing, and they could take this as a sign that they to trade guys like Jesse Pugliarvi? Oh, I think they absolutely. Like, I, if I could put money on it that they trade Pugliarvi this summer and give Kane 6x6 six six or 7x7 seven seven or whatever, I would yeah. put my life savings on that. Yeah, when in reality, what this should be a sign of is how special McDavid and Dreisaitl are, and you don't even have to do anything crazy around them, but if you can just get good enough around them, you'll be fine. Yeah, like, you should... I gotta be careful how I word this. You shouldn't be actively looking for pieces of shit like Evander Kane, but you should be looking for the idea of a guy who you know has talent on a down, like who you players as talented as him. Yes, exactly. And like, obviously that's easier said than done. But like, to me, a guy that comes to mind is like Alexander Radulov or whatever. Yarvi is about to be a guy like that. Exactly. Right. Like that's the exact type of person you should be looking for. Like, it's but if Paul Yarby was out there, people would be saying the Oilers should acquire him from another team. Yes, 100%. Because any other team should be looking to acquire Paul Yarby because he's a good player who's been unlucky. And even if he's not a great shooter, he's probably not this big of a gap between his actual goals and expected goals. Well, also, I remember from last summer the Oilers 
the Oilers told us very explicitly that a guy who can drive play really well, even if his expected goals is always going to outperform his actual goals, is worth about seven years, $38.5 million into his 30s, never mind one in his prime. Yes, but have you thought of the fact that Zach Hyman looks like he's working hard every shift. <laughs> Puyarvi does not, that lazy Finn. Yeah, Puyarvi, or, uh, yeah, Puyarvi is uh, European, where Hyman's Canadian, and we all know that's that's where the real grit is. Yes, and I mean, again, like, it's not. I'm not saying Hyman doesn't work hard every shift. You know, you, you can watch him do that. But yes, it is funny, the difference they're willing to pay for someone like Hyman versus Puyarvi. Um yeah, I don't know. Like it'll it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, it sounds like Koskinen is going back to the KHL. That's kind of the rumor I've heard, anyways. Um, I'm just kind of seen floated around is that he's probably and he's um he's a UFA this year anyway. So even if he wants to stick in the NHL, just probably won't be with Edmonton. Yeah, um, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so you have Mike Smith at two point two for one more year. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in net. Uh, and then, you know, they have Brett Kulak's up with the trade for Chris Russell's up. Um, that leaves them with, they, they have six defensemen under contract already next year, seven, if you count uh cloth bomb, but at this point, I think it's safe to not count him. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. But sadly. Have, yeah. You have nurse Keith, Barry, CC Bouchard and Broberg as your six defensemen under contract next year. And you know, it's that's not a great defense core. I mean, you have some upside with the two young guys in Broberg and Bouchard, but like the problem is I don't trust them to use like Duncan Keith is probably gonna be playing top four minutes for this team still. Almost certainly. And then up front they have to re-sign Ryan McLeod, Jesse Pugliarvi, Kyler Yamamoto. It sounds like they might want to walk away from Pugliarvi, but Yamamoto and McLeod will definitely stay. And then Evander Kane will be the big decision they have. And then it'll just be tweaking the depth, depth guys because Kyle Turris, Colton Savoir, Derek Broussard, Josh Archibald are all UFAs. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, this, this is kind of what we were talking about, how this team is built. Like, they're not a good team, but McDavid and Dreisaitl, like, Full credit to Dreisaitl, who was clearly hurt during these playoffs and was still just an absolute animal putting up points. Like, he had 32 points in 16 playoff games, and it was very clear he was not even close to, like, 100%. I don't even know if he was at 70% for some of these playoffs. He could barely move. Yeah, like, you, he could barely pivot. Yeah, and he put up 32 points. Like, that's ridiculous. Exactly. Like, it doesn't matter what his – and I haven't I didn't even look if his – you know, I'm sure his defensive impacts weren't great, but like, if you can get it, with, so I'm sure they were well, awful. But exactly, still. but it's like if if you can get a guy putting up two points per game, you should be able to work around him not playing good defense. But the thing, they yeah. built this team that they almost can't. Yeah, I love Edmonton. <laughs> it's I I'm gonna be like I'm genuinely and like I it's Ken Holland, so I, I think they absolutely like, I will put a lot of money down that they double down and go inside to Vander Kane or whatever. But it's just, it's so sad because it, it was a glimpse of what this team could be if they just managed their cap a little more smart and realized, you know, market inefficiencies or whatever, where it's like you can go and get guys like Jesse Pugliarvi on the cheap where he pro- like you could sign, if they signed him to like a five-year deal this off season, it would be for dirt cheap and, I almost guarantee it would pay off in spades, whatever the, the AAV is. Oh, 100%. And also, like, you don't even have to be smart when you have McDavid and Dryside on this advantage. Like, you don't have to be a top 10 GM. You just have to consistently make average decisions, and you will probably win with these guys. And they, they seem determined to test that theory. Yeah, they seem to say how far the other way can we take that? And, you know, I, like Cody Cece was probably the best defender in these playoffs, which is A, a sign of why they probably got absolutely destroyed in the conference final, but B, good for Cody Cece. Um, Hell yeah. But again, like I, I can just see the excuses coming already. Oh, well, he was only their best defender because Darnell Nurse was hurt. It's like, okay, well, like Darnell Nurse plays a very physical game that you should know is susceptible to being injury prone. Yeah, and also, Nurse is not exactly, like, magic eraser level good. No, like, this like, isn't the 16-17 Senators having Eric Carlson's injured as their excuse. Yeah, and, like, Cody Cece still is the fourth 
highest cap hit on the blue line. Tyson Berry makes 4.5. Duncan Keith makes 5.5. Yeah. So, like, what's your excuse for those two? And, you know, Barry, I don't know, Barry is what he is at this point. He's a power play merchant who can move the puck, but isn't great in his own end. But it's the Duncan Keith one that, again, kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah, and it should have been obvious kind of who these guys are, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a crazy series. It's unfortunately, I, I really want Edmonton to get one. I, I, I wanted to see at the Avs win in five. I just want more hockey, to be honest, because we'll get to the other series in a second, but it feels like that one could have, have the potential to go long. Um, the first game was wild. I was playing soccer during it, and uh, our buddy was on the sideline, uh, and he was just updating me on the score. And he just kept updating like every three seconds. Like, goal, Constantly. Goal, goal. I was like, what on earth is happening? Uh, eight, six win for the avalanche. Um, Darcy Kemper is out. He, he backed up game four. Um, he got hurt in, was it game two? I believe. Uh, Francis or sorry. It was game one. Wasn't it? Uh, Francis started game two. Um, but Kemper made 13 saves on 16 shots in game one. Uh, and then went out with an injury, and then they they weren't actually. I don't really if, know if they ever announced what it was. Um, someone had speculated it was related to the eye injury he suffered against. Uh, was it St. Louis or was it even in round one? Um, but they they thought it may have been the eye injury uh, that he suffered in round one. Um, but either way, Francis came in, won uh, all four games. <laughs> I heard on the broadcast the other night they called him a bit of a folk hero. I was like. I don't know if that's what I call him. He didn't play particularly well in the four games. He just kind of won. I mean, he didn't play awful either. Game three, he had a shutout in game two in which he faced like 21 shots. Game three, he stopped, I think, he had like a 930. Yeah, he stopped 27 of 29. So that was good. But uh, last night, it didn't really, like he had a couple stinkers last night as well. But um, they are really testing the, this team is so damn good. They just need very average goaltending. That's for sure. Yeah, we didn't call Antti Niemi a folk hero back in the day for Chicago. We don't need to do it for Francouz. Yes, that is an extreme. And even Kemper, the way he was playing, to be yeah. honest. Like, yeah, it's... like you're not a folk hero because you won the cup with a 906. It means you owe all of your teammates all of the drinks at the after party or whatever. <laughs> like Exactly. And like it's obviously a tough place to go get thrown in just in the middle of a conference final, but... And, and again, like, it's not like he played bad. He's done exactly what they needed him to do. And he, you know, like he shouldn't be looked down on or anything because no, of that. Not a shot at him. No, we just don't need to make it up to be more than it actually is. Right. Like exactly. And they're paying him 2 million bucks. Like they're not paying him to be a world leader. They're paying him to not suck. And guess what he's doing? Exactly. He's just being very average. And that's, that's good enough because this team's been so dominant. Um, the sweep is uh, good for Colorado in terms of, you know, I mean, you can go back and forth whether, you know, too much rest is a, a bad thing or whatever. But the one thing it's going to do is at least give, especially if the Tampa and Ranger series does go to game six or seven, it gives them at least some time to try and get Nazem Kadri back, who had to have surgery on a broken thumb on a disgusting play by Evander Kane in game three, uh, cross check from behind away from the boards. Honestly, I said to you and Colby that I thought a broken thumb was probably the best possible outcome because we were watching it and we thought concussion, neck, broken collarbone, broken wrist, like thumb. It looked really bad. It looked horrible. And it was one of the dirtiest plays in hockey, frankly. And Evander Kane gets one game and we'll talk about that on the other side too. But, um, you know, no Kadri is a massive hit for this team and they've ruled that he's doubtful to return for the playoffs, but what I'd say is, I guess, you know, with the sweep here, they don't have to worry about it anymore for this round. And, you know, they probably are going to be praying that the series goes seven so that if the finals goes five, six, seven, maybe Codrick could be back in a couple of weeks. I don't know, but that's their best hope for getting him back in the lineup this year. But it's just a real unfortunate situation because he was having such a good damn playoffs. Yeah, it's too bad for him, especially because it's out on such a dirty play. Like it's, it's just an awful situation all around. Contract year and everything for him too, like horrible. Yeah, time. and and that's probably good why it's only a thumb injury that it shouldn't affect the contract or anything. Yeah. But like, what like what do you have to do to get suspended for more than one game in the playoffs? I have no idea. Like, there's, I I couldn't believe that was one game suspension. 
it was so bad. It was just like, and you know what's bad when it's like literally every former hockey player I've heard on the radio came out and be like, that is the most disgusting play you can make as a player. Like, yeah, like, this is, like if you wanted to cut it in half because playoffs, give them 10 games for that. Yeah, well, like, and like literally, and it's insane. Like when Jeff O'Neill is like, that should be an automatic five or 10 game suspension. It's like, yeah, geez, yeah, like. This is a guy who you can you can watch someone get two hand from behind, be like, oh, that shouldn't even be a suspension or anything. And like that's just the mentality that a lot of former players have. But you can tell the hatred in all of their voices for that specific play because it's so gutless and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it's just pure danger. There's nothing yeah. good about it. No, there's no good outcome that could ever come from that play. Yep. So um, you know, it's insane to me that it was only one game, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because missing three games at the beginning of the regular season next year isn't really going to affect Evander Kane in any way either. No. But no, it's – man, it, and it's kind of – again, I wonder if that's going to lead to the narrative or not. I don't think it would have mattered because he also took Kadria with him, but, like, Edmonton's down 3 nothing, And the time of that penalty, that kicked him out for game three as well. And maybe – I think that's stupid. I don't know what you – but, like, I've heard people try and argue. It's like, well, if you took the penalty at the beginning of the game, that should count as a game as well. It's like, no, it shouldn't matter when you took the penalty. If you were stupid enough to do it, you should be sitting that whole game no matter what. Yeah, I don't really like the time-adjusted suspension length at all. But, you know, that being said, it was still – it was just in terms of the penalty, it was even like Edmonton scored, the place was buzzing, they had the early momentum, and he just goes and takes the dumbest penalty and takes all the life out of that building and, and killed the game for them because they got into penalty trouble after that. But, um, you know, I wonder if that'll be part of the narrative on a banner game where it's like, yeah, great play, but he, not single-handedly, obviously, but he really helped to ruin game three and then wasn't there for game four for them. It would be nice if that was a part of the narrative, but these things often seem to be forgotten. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, all it takes is one team to fall in love and be like, "Oh, we can, we can keep them under control or whatever," right? But yeah, we yeah, exactly. We can do it. Nobody else has been able to, but yeah, the special sauce in our building. But yeah, yeah. So I'm absolutely unfortunate. I, I hope Kadri can return if he's healthy enough by the end of the playoffs. But um, you know, regardless, it'll be if the Avs win. You know, he'll obviously be out there with them and celebrating, which is good. Um, and it's just super unfortunate to see a guy who's having a, such a great year and playoff run to have to go down on just a gutless play like that. Yeah. It sucks. Um, anything else you wanted to bring up about the series at all? I don't I didn't did think you, so. Did you get to watch a, a ton of it or no? I watched a little bit. I had definitely didn't watch the whole series though. I kind of had parts... an idea where it was going. Then I was at a wedding for the mm-hmm. up game and stuff. So kind of just fully missed that. Yeah, I was at a stag and doe for game three and played. I was playing baseball last night. So I, I, I didn't get to, I only got to watch parts of it. But the one cool thing I thought was really watching, and, you know, not that he needed this for some people, but this is really a coming out party for Kale McCarr. Yeah. And yeah. It, like on the national stage. Yes. And it seems weird to say that about like a guy who was, I think, second or third in Norris voting last year and probably going to win it this year, if not be second. But, like everyone is realizing, oh no, this guy isn't just a really good defenseman. He's like a top five player in the world. Yeah. And yeah, he is one. Yeah, he's the, the best defenseman since PKK. Yep. That's what I was about to say. This is like the most dominant I've seen any defenseman since like 2013 to 17, Carlson. Yeah. That that sounds about right. And it's like the way he even kept up with like, like he was he's the only defenseman I've ever seen just keep up with McDavid. Not with ease, like obviously, but you know, just be able to play with them and not try to do too much and just keep them to the outside. Like there's the clip that was going around in game one where McDavid had the end-to-end rush, got all the speed, and just couldn't do anything because McCarr just forced him to the outside. Yeah, yeah, that's and, not an easy thing to do. And you know, another guy who's getting it rightfully so a ton of love in these playoffs, and especially that series for the way he helped shut down McDavid is Devon Taves. Yep. Yeah, with it's kind of cool to see them get. That's the joys of the Colorado Avalanche becoming the juggernaut they, they should have been for a while in the playoffs, at least. As people start, the Devontaeses of the world start to get a ton of credit. Exactly. And, and Bowen Byram's another name where it's like, um, you know, it's unfortunate that Gerard went down and is done for the, the year, but Bowen Byram's got to benefit from that greatly. And he's looked 
really, really good. I thought in the, you know, in the minutes he's got to step up in here. So, oh. um, yeah, that, I didn't have much more to say other than that. Like the, the Kale McCarr stuff was, was massive. Like he number one with a bullet easily for defensemen. And like, I really do think oh. he's probably up there and like, there's only a couple centers I would take in front of him. I don't know if there's a winger I would take in front of him right now. Not at the moment. And like, so I'm missing someone, but no, probably not. Yeah. Like, especially age adjusted too. Like it's McDavid, Matthews. Kale McCarr's probably three. Like he's been yes. better than McKinnon in this playoff so far. And this year I would argue. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He has been. So it's not even actually that close. No, I don't think so. I like, and like people are, are fully admitting that too, where it's I, that, again, that's not a knock on Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon is still great and is having an amazing playoffs as well. It's just kill McCarr is that damn good. Kill McCarr might even have been better than McKinnon last year too. Yeah. I mean, for my goals above replacement standpoint, there's definitely an argument for it. Yep. Yeah. Like, yeah, God, I could that can't, He's on, I, I thought they had to extend him this year. I forgot they already did that. He's only making nine mil for the next five years. That's going to be the contract that everyone points to to prove every other defenseman's contract in the league is bad. It's highly paid. <laughs> Literally, like, and man, like that. This is shades of just like when Carlson was on six point five for six years or whatever. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is like the modern version of that with uh, today's cap. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and by the end of that contract, the cap's going to be so high where it's like, you're going to see guys getting like 13 mil. And it'd be point that is like, well, kill McCarr makes like four mil less than them. What on earth? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause by the end of this, it's going to look even better than it does now. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I want to bring up was I, I thought one of the better uh, deadline acquisitions that kind of went like under the radar at the time. Um, but, you know, the more I look at it, and obviously with hindsight, it's very easy to see, but Arturi Lekkanen has been a massive pickup for this team. Scores the series winner, obviously, last night, but it's just been like a really, really good depth piece. And he's had 11 points in 14 playoff games this year and is now critical with Kadri out. But also, he's an RFA and probably going to be their Valerie Natushkin replacement. That was the best part of that trade from day one. Like... It's just the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. It's like statistically, he just kind of is Valerie Nachushkin. Yeah, exactly. And he'll be or younger, but like they're very similar archetypes, purely yeah, on he, paper. He's only a year younger too, but he's an RFA, and that makes all the difference because they can probably give him a one or two year deal at way less than what Nachushkin's yeah. going to get, and you know, then they'll just figure out how to find the next player like that in a year or two when he's up. Nachushkin feels so old to me. Just I don't know why. I think it's because he's came into the league at like 19 or whatever, but we're gonna get into some Boston news and eventually, but he Natushkin is the opposite of Pasternak. I don't know why, but Pasternak is 23 all the time in my mind. Yep, I I was I'm with you on that one. He is 26, actually. I was like, I this guy's been 23 for eight years in my mind. Whereas, yeah, Natushkin feels like he's like 33 to me instead of 27. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's this, uh, this half team has just been so wonderfully built. It's like, you know, I don't agree with quite everything they've done. You know, I probably wouldn't be playing Jack Johnson or would have even signed Jack Johnson, but you know, when that's, when you're sixth defense, well, and honestly seventh on a health lineup defenseman is the worst part about your team that you've built. You've probably done a pretty good job. Yeah, exactly. Nobody bats a thousand and the abs are doing about as close to that as you possibly can. Yeah, so um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they end up playing in the in the finals on the other side. Again, as I mentioned, Game Four is going tonight, so it'll be either two very different series where it's either going to be tied up two two going back to New York, or it's going to be a three one lead going back to New York. Um, it's weird. I heard someone call it a must win for both teams, which I I think is kind of a good way to put it in terms of. Obviously, if you're Tampa, you can't go down 3-1 because that means you're 60 minutes of Shesterkin playing like a god away from being eliminated within, you know, like Shesterkin just needs 60 good minutes out of 180, which is very doable for him. Yeah, you're um, playing with fire at that point. 
Exactly. But if you're the Rangers, like how much momentum's overblown, but how much momentum do you lose by after you went up, managed to go up 2-0 in the series? If Tampa just comes storing back here, ties it up 2-2, like it's hard to see them slowing down once they get going. A hundred percent. And the fact that they're Tampa, like that makes it so much more nerve wracking than it needs to be. That it's yeah. the Tampa Bay Lightning coming back on you. 100%. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, if it's a team that hasn't had all that much success or even just like a fine team or whatever. It's, no, it's the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions that have been on a roll, you know, for six, seven games now. Yeah, 100%. It's just terrifying. Yeah, so that, that's been an interesting one as well. Um, ben, uh, you know, Tampa, they really – I definitely believe that there's something, I mean, like I forget what the actual statistic is, but it's like teams coming off a sweep versus teams in game seven. Like they lose game one, a shockingly amount, a uh, large amount of the time. And it makes sense. Like you got to get your legs underneath you after like two weeks off versus the team. That's just still probably rolling with the momentum or whatever, you know, just coming fresh off a series. Um, but even in game two, I thought they were like very underwhelmed. They just didn't look dangerous at five on five. Like the Rangers have done, I thought a very good job of kind of keeping them to the outside at five on five and not really letting them get into super high danger areas uh, so far. Yeah. Tampa's looked pretty underwhelming, especially given how New York has played against everyone else this season. Yeah. That's the thing. It's not like the Rangers are like this world beating analytics team or something like that either. Right. Like now, Tampa is clicking at like a 61% XG lot. I'm pretty sure. So it's like, that is actually very egregious in a playoff series. It's just, I almost expected more. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of, like they dominated game three, Tampa just steamrolled them. Um, And, you know, but even like, like game two, and again, this is where it's funny because, you know, the stats don't necessarily match what I watch, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like my eye test is, godly or anything like that like Tampa was 56% Corsi four in game two and 59% expected goals they didn't play bad by any means it just kind of like you know they they generated 2.55 goals at five on five and just didn't really get to score and I don't know part of that is probably there was probably a couple big saves from Sisterkin in there that you know I kind of my mind probably just glosses over but it just felt like generally it was like the Rangers did a better job than I was expecting keeping them outside and but they yeah definitely still need to be better if they want to win you know if they want to finish this series off because um you know game one they got it was 56 to 43 for expected goals and again some of that was probably um score effects the rangers were up one nothing 19 seconds into the game um True. and i'm just taking yeah like when you um score adjusted it's uh 50 50 basically for course four and then 55 for expected goals. So that's like a tight game or whatever. But yeah, it, it's not like Tampa's playing bad or anything. It's just, I thought the Rangers have done a, a fairly good job, especially compared to like, like if you told me this series went six or seven, but it was just Tampa hammering Shesterkin with like 50 plus shots a game, I'd be like, yeah, that seems about right. It hasn't that's quite been like that. No, it hasn't been as bad. Um. But yeah, it would be interesting. Like it's it's weird to try and comment on a series that could swing so aggressively with a game four here tonight, where you know it, if the Rangers squeak one out, it's like, well, they literally just need to win one more. You know, either you get maybe you get a Zabanajad goal, a Kreider goal, a, you know, like the high end talent, or Shesterkin steals one. It's like you're you're that close. Whereas again, if Tampa wins, it's a best two out of three series, and you got I would favor Tampa very heavily with that. Yeah, it's a, I like the must-win game for both teams because it's going to feel like the sky is falling for either one if they lose. Like, Tampa ties it up 2-2. You're the Tampa Bay freaking lightning. You got your mojo back. You're against a team that everybody thinks is frauds. You're fine. You're happy. Uh, and then if you're the Rangers, you need Shesterkin to probably have two good periods back-to-back and you win the series, which he has uh, nine-plus to figure it out in, which you're also very happy about. Yep, exactly. So uh, it'll be definitely interesting. You know, I, I could see this. Well, I mean, it ha- obviously it has to go to five no matter what, but I think this is going seven, maybe six, but I, this is going like, I, I would be shocked if the Rangers just win the next two, to be honest. I think, I think it'll go. Seven. Me too. Yeah. Seven feels right for this series. I think I might, uh, I can't tell which storylines better. Tampa Bay wins so that it's the two time, 
back-to-back Stanley Cup champs versus like this possibly up-and-coming dynasty getting to take them down, if they do win, that is, or Tampa could three-peat, obviously, or the Avs playing the Rangers, and we just get to see how extreme a playoff series expected goal differential could possibly get. Yeah, that would be like... I, I want Tampa. I think Tampa, Colorado could be genuinely be one of the best sick. finals we've seen in like a decade. Yeah. Like just two elite, like elite of the elite. Like the no two, Montreal in the damn. No, the, the two best teams in hockey. Like, yeah. If yeah you, like, heading into the year, that's what everyone said too. It was who's the best in the East? It's like, I mean, even Tampa. given what they lost on paper, it's Tampa. It's the back to back champs. Who's the best in the West? It's Colorado. And if those two teams actually get to meet, sure, they didn't finish one, two in the standings or anything like that. But it, you could rightfully say, yes, these were the best two teams in hockey. Yeah. And that would be great. 100%. That would be awesome. Um, so, yeah, that, that's definitely what I'm rooting for. It would be kind of funny to see. And like, it would just be for me if like the Rangers made it, it'd be shades of 2014. Where it's like Lundqvist is just, and that's kind of how I'd see the finals going too. Just like a five game where it's like, uh, Shesterkin does literally everything he can, but it's not enough. Yeah, I I just want to see the cognitive dissonance when the XG is like eighty twenty for the ABS of, no, we're actually way better than that suggests, and also the second we have at one goal lead, we go into the biggest shell on earth on purpose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... The Rangers are such a weird team. The, the one, like, regardless of if they win or lose this series, I think the one super encouraging thing for this team should be, and it, it's a small sample size, so you can't go, like, aggressively with it. Lafreniere, Sheetal, and Kako, that line has looked unreal again. Yeah, through, they're with the shift or whatever. Like, they have, they've looked good. They've looked through, very good. Through three games this series, they're leading the uh, ta- or the New York Rangers with 57, 56, and 55% core C4, and their expected goals are 65, 63, 62. They're the only players above 50% <laughs> for expected goals for the Rangers. Yeah, which is huge because there's basically been no signs of life from Cac uh, or Lafreniere thus far in yeah, their exactly. entire careers, at yeah, least and not at like, an aggregate level. They're like actually outplaying like one of the better teams at five on five, like and, and like noticeably making the difference of that. And some of that notice is they're up three nothing in goals four at five on five, where the expected goals say it should be closer to about two to one. Um, but still, like it's they're they're playing very very well. And again, you have to take you have to take that with a grain of salt. You can't just assume they're going to become ninety point players or anything like that next year. But that is much People much will. better. <laughs> yeah, it's much People. better than not doing it right yeah exactly it's a huge it's a huge win for them to see uh, such a big positive from important players going forward but you know there's going to be some guy that takes caco in like the third round in fantasy hockey next year when he scored five points in 17 games thus far these playoffs oh what yeah 100 percent. or just be like it doesn't matter what they do this offseason it doesn't matter they're stacked like Kako yeah. Cheadle and Lafreniere are going to be their first line. And then you have Padarin, Savannah, yeah. and Kreider as your second line. This yeah. is a godly top six. It's like, okay, yeah. let's, let's roll They're young, so we can just pencil them in to be the Bergeron line next year, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. something like that's getting said. Yeah. Speaking of the Bergeron line, let's get to Boston, shall we? Oh, Boston. Where to begin? Let's, let's start with the coach. So they fired Bruce Cassidy last night, which – Shocking, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it was pretty, had, pretty nuts to me. Apparently, yeah. the writing's been on the wall since the first round ended, but I did not know that. It kind of sounds like this is a scapegoat for uh, GM Neely, where he – it sounds like there's some heat for losing in round one again this year. and Or not Neely, Sweeney, Don Sweeney, sorry. Okay. Um, and – it kind of it kind of sounds like a change was needed to be made, and Sweeney's like, "Well, it's not going to be my head, so let's get rid of the coach." Um, this me, is a team getting worse on purpose. Yeah, so like, there's a couple different ways to take this. I'm going to be interested to see, but to me, let, let's talk about just the coach himself in terms of Bruce Cassidy. To me, Cassidy's one of the few coaches that make a positive impact on the team. Like, yep, he's a good coach. I would put him. Not like one, two, three, but probably somewhere in the top five, like five, 
four to seven or eight ish. Yeah. Yeah. If you told me he was seventh on your list, I would be like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know exactly where I'd have him, but that range would make a ton of sense. Yeah. Like he, he took over when they let go of um, Claude Julian. I was like, Oh, that seems stupid. Then Bruce Cassie came in and made some much needed adjustments. And I thought did a really good job for, let's be honest. Like, it's not like this team has been loaded with depth for a number of years now. Yeah, exactly. Like the top guys have always been the top guys, but they've made quite the carousel work. Yeah. I mean, like they've, it's, I, I, I do get the argument where it's like, well, there's only a certain baseline you can get so low when you have so like the Bergeron line, but like, even when like there was times where Bergeron was hurt or whatever, or Marshan was hurt or Pasternak was hurt. And, they just kind of kept making do. Yeah, like their their depth put up reasonably good numbers to the point where, like, I I don't think I'd accept an argument that Cassidy's below average, which is no. doesn't sound like a really big compliment, but the way we think about coaches, I actually mean that to be a huge positive. Yeah, exactly. Like knowing that you're going to get a guy that, mar- even if it's marginally helps your team win, is a good thing to have and. You know, and obviously it's not impossible. Boston goes and gets another like good coach if it's like Barry Trotz or someone like that. But it kind of, to me, this could be Boston signaling they're rebuilding here. Yeah, that Pasternak quote was people took that and ran with it. I read it. That is not what it sounded like. But the fact that they're firing their coach and they're not sure if Bergeron's back. Yeah, do you want to uh, just expand on the Pasternak quote just for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, so basically some, I don't even remember who said, maybe they look to move Pasternak and go in a different direction this offseason. And Twitter spent the entire day being like, oh my God, it's confirmed that Boston is shopping David Pasternak, which is absolutely not. It was like, you know, when Friedman says like, oh, I think the Leafs could do this. He basically was that with Boston. Yeah, it was like, a, um, so yeah, it was uh, basically, <laughs> I'm just looking it uh, up right now too. So it was a, well, a senior writer, so it was a beat writer for the Athletic Boston. And I don't know what his, um, oh yeah, okay, so right here he tweeted out, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, I applauded, Fluto Shinzawa. Um, he tweeted out just even an hour ago. He tweeted, if Pasternak won't resign, a trade looms as a possible next yeah. step in a full-on rebuild. Well, yeah, no shit. Yeah, it was like, yeah, if he doesn't resign, I would chop him. Sure, <laughs> possible Genius. too. It was like they could do this if he doesn't want to resign. I could have told you that. I don't the need f- to be a Bruins be writer for that. The first thing in the quote that went viral viral was at Fluto. Uh, Shinzawa reporting that Boston will explore trading David Pasternak this summer. Yeah. Well, that, and also that would be like Friedman going on the radio and saying, if Jack Campbell doesn't resign, the Leafs could look at, and then just inserting the top three UFA goalies and us being like, the Leafs are trying to sign these guys or whatever. Here's the full quote. Like that's all I could, think of. The Bruins could start 2022-23 down their first line combination and a Charlie McAvoy, Matt Grizzlick pairing also out. Um, a coaching change, surgeries to critical contributors, and a pending rebuild will not encourage David Pasternak to sign an extension with one year left on his deal. In fact, the right wing may be general manager Don Sweeney's best trade piece to trigger a teardown. So and this is, is really just like his best trade piece. Yes, exactly. And the, but <laughs> well, like this quote way, is literally just like, yeah, if their number one elite <laughs> franchise Hall of Fame center retires, we know McAvoy's out for five months and Grizzly might be hurt. If both of them are coming back for a large part of this year, David Pasternak may not want to be like, oh, I'm going to sign an eight by eight or an eight by whatever, insert AAV here, eight by 11, whatever you want to get. Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, no, that should just be common sense. Yeah. No shit. So, you know, like I would be pretty, it's hockey. I'd be pretty surprised if they do trade him. I was on. So the reason I, it was funny because when with the age thing, the reason I brought up that I went and looked to see Pasternak 26, I was going to tweet out being like, Pasternak seems like the exact type of guy that you keep in a rebuild because I thought he was 23 years old. Yeah, because he's so young. But that's my boy for them. Yeah, but I was literally just like, oh, sh-. like he's already 26. And not like you can't keep him. But to me, 
and this signals even a bigger issue is like it kind of goes to show just how hard they've been coasting off their stars not aging yeah. which I don't think is like a predictable or repeatable thing especially with how injured Bergeron's been throughout his career I don't think anyone can rightfully predict that he would still be this good at this age he might have just had his best defensive season and he's 36 yeah, like Brad Marchand's been peaking from age 32 to 34 to like the point where he's a legit like top five winger. Past age 30, I'm pretty sure he has a higher point per game than Crosby. Yeah, like like how how do you predict that? Like, and and like they didn't can't. no, they didn't predict that either because they it was like, yeah, they signed him for six years at six million or whatever. And like obviously teams always gonna try and go as low as they can, but it's not like they were dying to give this guy like eight million dollars. Yeah, like they they didn't know that this was coming at age 30, whatever. No, um, because how could you? Yeah, no one can. You can pretend you did in hindsight, but you didn't. Let's be honest. (laughs) No, and so that brings up a bigger point and why, like, Boston fans are pissed about the coach firing and also just because, like, they're fed up with Sweeney. And I think rightfully so because he hasn't done a particularly good job in the past couple years of surrounding this team with talent or really refilling the depth, like they're drafting from what I can tell over the past couple of years has been pretty abysmal. Yeah. And like they've struggled to do the Pittsburgh, like they don't have a Jake Gensel. No, or anything close to it. They've had to go out and pay for guys like Taylor Hall, which Taylor and even Taylor Hall, they got lucky that Taylor Hall is basically like, yeah, I only want to play in Boston. Yeah. But like the closest they, thing they've done is DeBrusque, which they had three first-round picks, and they did horribly given who was the next few picks. And even DeBrusque, all you ever hear is, my God, Boston would give up their left foot just to dump this useless I mean, player. DeBrusque is an outstanding trade request that has been rumored <laughs> to be on the block for six straight seasons now. Yeah, like his entire career after his rookie year, it's been like, yep, we're trying to get rid of this guy. Yeah, exactly. And like, and I'm not a massive prospect guy, but the guy they took in the first round in 2019 was John Beecher. He just put up 15 points in 34 games in his D plus three year in university. Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem great. Yeah. That doesn't seem great at all. I, uh, a little spoiler to the research I'm doing, just eyeballing his stats right here. I can guarantee you he would have came out as a negative expected value player. Yeah, like first round pick. Exactly. Like it's just I'm just going through all their pick, and it's just like, well, they don't really they don't really have any like must-see prospects, it doesn't feel like, right? Like Fabian Lysel, I know people liked from uh, last year's draft, I think. Um but even heard him, that like, name, so that's a good sign. Yeah, he, he went 21st overall in 2021. Um, but like I don't think he's like a stud prospect or anything like that either, right? And on the blue line, they don't have anything coming right away i don't think so it's just like is this really the guy you want leading your rebuild which by the way you don't have a first round pick this year so i guess like they do next year so it's not like they want a hard restart or whatever but i don't know like it's just they're in an awkward spot because i think if they keep doubling down it's not going to be as aggressive because they're not going to sign like the carlson contract they have no one to give that to but I think they're going to be one of those old teams who's capped out and bad if they try to double down or they could blow it up right now and get a jump start on like one of the quickest and most efficient rebuilds ever if they're smart about it. Yeah. And it probably all comes down to like what uh, Bergeron does. Yeah. Like, cause if Bergeron stays. At this Run point, it into the ground, go for it. Exactly. Like there's no point. He's like, he hasn't gotten bad yet. So just take another stab at it next year. But if Bergeron retires, yeah, like I, I think they absolutely should trade Pasternak and probably see if Marchand wants to go anywhere as well because you could get a haul for Brad Marchand. Yep. Yeah, Sam only has value then. Because if Bergeron's done, thank you. You have two good forwards. You have two really good forwards in Taylor Hall. And, yeah, like imagine – like. You get multiple firsts, multiple prospects, and multiple firsts in a good draft too. Multiple high-end prospects probably, and then you probably get like a second or something for like Jake DeBrus too. Like you get a bunch, you can get a bunch of top ninety picks that are good lottery tickets and prospects. And it's just like, 
And next year is a good year to be bad. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I know sometimes people overrate having just, you know, trading actual NHL players away, but it's like, if your only goal is to find high end talent and do it at a time where it's like, you need to line it up with your core. Like this is the best possible way to do it. Instead of waiting for all your players to get even older and less valuable. Yep. So yeah, it'll be interesting what they do. And like, I just, also your division is still a murderer's row, no matter what you do. That's the other thing too. And you have multiple teams in your division that are trying to get better in Ottawa, Detroit and Buffalo, you know, you can argue how much better they will actually be, but it's not like, it's, it's going to work like you... for one of them. Exactly, right? <laughs> Just probabilistically, one of them, even if they all do stupid things, are going to get lucky enough that it will work for them. Yeah, and if all three of them manage to do smart things, it's like it might not all work for all of them. But if you're taking even you know a si- like a sizable step back because of injuries and stuff, you are not promised a playoff spot. Hell, even if, yep. even if it doesn't work out, there could be five Metro teams that make it, you know? So, yeah, 100%. They're in a weird spot. Yeah, and just like I don't know, like I think their fans are rightfully skeptical of um, Sweeney being the right guy to take this forward. Yeah, there's certain. It's fair to ask questions at very least. Because maybe like, he'll impress us this offseason because he has done some smart things. But, but yeah, well, I, and like like this, I don't know. This uh, management group always confused me because it's the same group that looked at Mike Riley and Derek Forbert and identified as them as both guys they need to give $9 million to. Yeah, equally as good players. Yeah, it's like, well, one, no, one of those is a really smart decision. The other one's like, what are you doing? Yeah, that's it's so strange. So, yeah. I never I know, know how to feel about Boston. I'm, I don't want to write them off till they're actually dead because we've been doing it for years, but I'm so here for just a Boston downfall. Yeah, I'm into it as a Leafs fan. Well, <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like fan, they're in division for both of us. So. Yeah, like and like as a neutral observer, I want Bergeron to come back if he's healthy and play because he's an amazing talent to watch. But as a biased fan, I want to see him retire, send this team into chaos. They can keep Pasternak, sign him, and just be a mediocre team for the next 10 years. Yep. But um all right we got a couple other small things i think uh a couple contracts that got signed i'm just seeing here uh freeman tweeted out as well uh or sorry not freeman he retweeted i guess but um the kraken tweeted out that goaltender chris Dreider has suffered a torn eight right acl i suffered this during the third period of team canada's gold medal match versus finland at the worlds this year uh, he had successful knee surgery on June 6th and expected to have a seven to nine month recovery. So that puts him out for a good chunk of next year. That sucks. That is unfortunate. Um, you know, I'm glad he got paid at least by Seattle. So, you know, it's not like he's missing out on a giant payday this summer, but um, yeah, that is, that is tough. That is- seven to nine month recovery. Yeah. And like for a goalie, like that's scary. An ACL injury for a goalie is scary regardless. Yeah. That so, ACL injury is scary for someone who doesn't use their body for a living. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, let alone a guy who's using his knees for every movement that he needs. Like, like yeah, I, that sucks. Um, you know, it's funny. I saw that Freeman tweet. So I have Freeman's notifications on because he breaks a lot of trades and stuff like that and injury stuff and signings, right? Um. Tweet out today, and I was just kind of on my phone. I saw it come through, and it was he tweets Blaze skated in a uh, Sammy Blaze skated in a regular white jersey today, and I stopped reading the tweet. And I went, "Why is that important? I don't think Blaze is in the playoffs anymore." And then I realized he's on New York because he was traded for Pavel Buchnevich. Oh yeah, that's true. I was just saying, no, he's in the playoffs. It's free and, aware. and I don't know why, but that just made me laugh. I was like. It's just another example of a team being in conference final, despite doing some of the dumbest shit in the world. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Like, imagine how much nicer they'd look with Buchnevich. No kidding. Like, they would actually have some scoring depth. Yeah, and you could have another line that could at least go probably 50-50 with Tampa because he's really good. Yeah, but no, why would you have that when you can have a fourth liner and a second-round pick? I think is what they got. Yep. It's man, 
Oh, what a league we uh, we get to watch sometimes is all Just all I can powerful. really say. Whenever um, whenever analytic models over like value some third pair defenseman a ton and then he fails, you never hear the end of it. But God, we got to take our victory laps when we can with decisions like that Bujnevich ones that were just clearly so boneheaded from the start. You'd like anyone who even like remotely followed statistics was like, wow, they just got ripped off. And even like people who didn't follow statistics are like, oh, that's not a great trade, but like, oh, Bujnevich wasn't that good, right? Didn't back check or whatever. It's like, no, like that was like a horrible trade. <laughs> that was truly spectacularly bad. And then he's over point per game this year. Because yeah. it's really good. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, you put him not in a bottom six checking role, but instead with good players in the top six, he's going to score a lot. Yeah, and he's pretty much a game in the playoffs, too, because he is a fantastic hockey player. Yeah. Um, all right, two contracts to talk about quickly. Explain this one to me. Jack Roslevic, $4 million AAV. Yeah, I saw that one and was surprised. It's not as bad as I think it felt like my snap reaction, I'll say. I think it's just a classic case of a rebuilding team that like they have $23 million in cap space still this year and don't like they have Emil Benstrom, Patrick Laine, um, and Boquist assigned as their big guys. So like yeah, like at first I was like, "What the hell?" But then you kind of look into it, and it's like, "Ah, Ross Roslovic's about average, not too crazy." Trade very tradable contract. He had more points than I thought this year. He doesn't really drive play in any kind of way, but like he had forty five points in eighty one games this year, which is about twenty more than I would have guessed. Maybe maybe not twenty, but fifteen more definitely than I would have guessed. Yeah, like he's probably somewhere around a league average player. Like within yeah, air bars. So I'd say he's a fine third liner, which like, yep. I don't know, like people lose their mind on like Connor Brown or whatever. And he makes, yep. I think Connor Brown makes 4.2 to be honest. So um, yeah, like as long as he's the worst player, if on the line, if he's in your top six, like you can be a good team still. Yeah. And to me, it just kind of signals like a rebuilding team. They know they're rebuilding. They have a ton of cap space and they just want to have some okay players, you know, on their roster for the next two years, right? Like, yeah, pay a dude as a warm body, and then for next year, and then the year after, you trade him to a contender at the deadline for a pick or something. Yep, because he's a UFA right after that, so you know it doesn't really seem like this is a guy they plan on keeping super long term, unless things work out for the best. But you know, like this. In like general, I, if you're just, signing four million right to UFA, you know where that's going. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, you know, you're like both probably happy with that. To be honest, yeah, well, exactly. Like Roslovic gets a great payday for you know. Let's be honest. Like I'm sure he could, you know, you probably go find a better team and take a little less if you really want to. But he gets eight million dollars. Probably guarantees that at the end of 2023-24, he's on a playoff team for a deadline run, and then he gets to go cash out in UFA. Yep, works out pretty well for him. And the uh, the Blue Jackets don't have to sign him through his declining years or whatever. Yeah, like the Blue Jackets are going to get the best Jack Roslevic. Hope he puts up another 50-point, like puts up a 50-point season or whatever. Probably get like a second, maybe even a first if he has a really good season next year. And he can be a warm body while, you know, some of their prospects develop or whatever. Yep. Yeah, and even, I don't know if there's anything to this, but make them all like earn their roster spots higher up the lineup and stuff because you're not mad that Jack Roslevic's on your team right now. Yeah, so honestly, a better contract than, you know, I, I've, you've taught me into liking this contract a little more. I, I saw the AV and I was like, that feels like it should be a total per year, not uh, or total, not a per year. But um, yeah, I yeah, get what you meant. My snap reaction was like, what are you doing? But then yeah. I was like, yeah, whatever. But when, when you looked at they have $23 million in cap space still, it's like you've got to hit the floor as well. So yeah, yeah, they have $23 million after this contract. Exactly. It's like, you know, Patrick Line, like, I don't know what they do with him. That's going to be an interesting decision totally. But like, I can't see him getting more than whatever his qualifying offer is. No, probably not. This feels like he might actually move this offseason. I just don't really see the fit with Columbus. Like, no, not at all. And like, he had a good see like he had the point per game season it seemed like all he needed to do was have something like that and you should be able to fetch a ton more 
Yeah, he had one of the quietest point per game season. I think it's because he was hurt. like he only played fifty six games, but like he had twenty six goals this year. I did not know that. Yeah. So what was he, what did he score at? Like almost a forty goal pace when healthy. Yep, I'm doing the math right now, but uh, um, yeah, thirty eight. Like yep. So that seems like the proof of concept. Some good team was going to need to trade for Line. Yeah, that'd be the second highest goal total he's had. Now, granted, he had thirty six and seventy three, so not highest pace, but still, like yeah, like. It'll just be interesting to see because, you know, Columbus isn't going to want to give him like you're not just going to give him up either because they gave up Pierre-Luc Dubois to get him. So it'll be interesting to see what they're asking for and what team wants to go out and pay for him. Yeah. Um, I don't know what happens there. I don't either. I uh, I really don't. I, I do think – well, because like I like, – Sens fans basically are connecting themselves with every winger, basically. Like, any top six winger that you could imagine, they're like, well, what if we trade the seventh overall pick for him or whatever? And Lainey's a guy who's come up here and there, too. And it's like, I go back and forth how I'd feel about that. It's definitely a high-risk, high-reward. Yeah. It, it would be a very high-variance move. I would respect it, though. Well, because, like, even if Lainey turns out to be, like, a 30-goal guy, like, that's very useful in the NHL still. That's a gigantic like if your seventh overall pick is Patrick Line, that is a huge win. Well and like like if Line scores 30, some people are disappointed by that. If you trade for another name that people <laughs> love in like Brock Besser and he scores 30, people are like, look at this amazing season from Brock Besser. Yeah, Line scores 30 and it's underwhelming. A generic seventh overall pick scores 22 and their team's convinced that he's the future of the franchise. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like yeah, like I, it'd be definitely a move that I'd be open to, but I just I don't even know what the contract looks like either. Like, yeah, well, that's the thing. He's not quite as valuable as obviously drafting him because you have to pay him, but still, you're probably happy to pay him if you're the team acquiring him. I would think you know that going in. Yeah, absolutely. And it just depends. Like his projected cap hit is five years, six point nine million dollars. Very nice. So five by seven, basically, um, from evolving hockey is the most likely. Second most likely is a three-year term at 6.4, which seems about right. Like that six to $7 million range. Yeah. Both those I think would make sense. And you I think probably you... want to buy term because if you're buying them, you want to just hope he hits. And if he does, you get to as many productive years for as cheap as possible. Yeah. And sorry, I, I guess I should say too, that this is uh, staying with Columbus. So let me change that to different for both. Um, three years, 6.5 is the most predicted. Um, but again, six years is the second most likely. And that would be at about 7.5, which again, seems six by 7.5 definitely seems like something I can see both parties agreeing to if they got traded. Yep. Yeah. Cause you want term, like I said, you want upside if you, if this does go well. So that makes yeah. sense. Eh? And, and this contact security. Exactly. And they take him till he's 30. So it's not like he couldn't cash out again at the end of that contract. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think he's on. But like, if they move him, so back to the Columbus thing. If they move him, well, they still have twenty three million dollars in cap space, and now a guy that like, even if they re-sign him, it's probably for like eight million dollars maximum. Yeah, most. So it, it makes more sense why they uh, uh, re-sign Roslovic. Um, the other contract that got signed today, I don't know much to say on this. Dennis Kurianov signs a one year deal, two point nine million dollars. Um, I think this is fine value. Uh, again, like I don't really know what Dallas is as a team, but yeah, Dallas confuses me. I think, but this seems like an all right contract. I mean, he kind of hasn't been nearly as good as he flashed during the big playoff run or whatever, but even at what he is now, it's not like he paid a ridiculous amount for him. No, no, no. And even last year at 30 points in 55 games. And like, that was better. Like this year he's got 31 and 73, um, which isn't awesome, but like, again, it's $2 million, right? Like, it's not like you're paying for this guy to be $2.9 million. So but it's not like you're paying for this guy to have legit top six production. So anything exactly. above that is just kind of a bonus. And he's an RFA again. So worst case yeah, scenario, yeah. somebody will talk themselves into him. Yeah, exactly. Or it's like, you can re-sign this deal one more year and, Maybe, maybe like if you sign this exact same contract again next year, maybe next year he goes on a shooting bender, and then some teams like here's a second or a first for Gariano at the deadline. Yeah, somebody gets a hurt winger in their middle six or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a ton to say about the contract, but noteworthy nonetheless. 
Yeah, good for him. A little three million bucks. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, that's about it. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week uh, again with, I think, guaranteed a Stanley Cup preview because game four goes tonight, game five will go Thursday, Saturday would be six. So, yeah, the latest would be a, a Monday game seven, which means we probably record either Monday night or Tuesday afternoon again. So, uh, definitely next time we'll be talking, we'll be previewing a Stanley Cup final, which is exciting. We already know one of the teams, but uh, – yeah, I think the, the rest of this series should be enjoyable. So um, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66 and actionnetwork.com. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week.